gifts today and each day. Amen. So last Sunday, uh, late service, we were kind of doing a little poll again about Super Bowl, and uh, actually was heavily chief-oriented on both desires and predictions. And Pastor Ted was standing behind me, and I probably wouldn't have done this, but I said, because there was only one person right over here was rooting for the uh, 49ers, and I said, if you're rooting for the 49ers, you can't come to church next week. And I turn around, and here's Pastor Ted. So that's why he's not here. <laughs> no, um, actually, Pastor Ted is uh, preaching today at, in Porter at one of our church plants at the dwelling. And uh, he has the privilege of being with that group of folks and uh, sharing that time. And so I told him when they asked, he needed somebody, I said, go. And I've got service and I've got your Bible class, so all fine. And so I'm looking forward to his report back about that. I also feel I should report back to you. I mentioned last week we were having a Super Bowl party and gathering, and uh, we did. And it was very sweet. It was just a wonderful time of neighbors who came together, and uh, none of them knew each other. They knew us somewhat. And I think the thing we observed about that was just, A, how easy it was just to say, come for some of the Super Bowl or all of it. Uh, we'll have some adult beverages, and you can bring something else, and we made soup. That was not the best part of it. It was just listening to people. And you can imagine if your like, neighborhood is like ours, some of those folks have lived this far from each other with only a street or facing the wrong way for at least three years and had never met. So when I reflect on today, and we're going to be talking about joy, I'm thinking about, again, even what we heard Pastor Jeffrey just a moment ago about, we are salt and light. And there's something about those words about flavoring the world and, and the aspect of light that comes into the world as we think about this and, and the opportunity to simply to allow people come together. And they said this was something for them that was sweet. And it was just wonderful to see. So that was part one. Part two is after it was all done, Ursula and I reflecting again on aspects of life. Didn't use the word joy necessarily, but as we're sitting in our home and thinking about the day from worship with you in the morning to that time, uh, I would say it this way, that our joy, our joy is sitting right here. So if you want to just turn to the left and right and around and there you go, right, right here. And our joy with you and our joy to be able to serve our neighbors because of you and our joy to be in the ministry that God has given is just almost overwhelmingly overpowering because we don't deserve it and yet God has given us you and God has given us this ministry of shining light. And isn't it good to be in a place where we can worship the Lord and be in a place where we serve the Lord and to be in a place where we give together that we are generous together, and today that we think about joy. 
together. That's good. So the word joy comes up. So we got joy and happiness. Uh, those words often come up, sometimes used synonymously. And I want you to just think about for a moment, you know, do you use those synonymously or do you think about each of those words in different ways? Because I think of them in different ways and I'm just curious and if I give you just a moment of silence, I'm not going to ask for you to tell me or have to get a hand up or anything. I just want you to think, what do you think of when you think of those different words or how do you differentiate these words? Just take a hard moment of thought. If you fall asleep, someone poke you open, but just think, what are those words meaning to you and how do you differentiate them? Okay, my definition is that happiness is an emotion that is tied to favorable circumstances and situations that may or may not include people. And I keep that part in there for an important reason because, for instance, if I... Uh, you know, have a week in which, you know, somehow unexpected money flows into my bank account, I am happy, right? <laughs> my team wins in the Super Bowl. <laughs> New job. My kids are working. You know, those kinds of things that, that brings happiness is usually circumstantial because if you take those things away, uh, just think how some of you would have felt if the 49ers would have won on Sunday and how that Super Bowl, same game, same commercials, same everything, and yet at the end of the day, you're on the bottom end of that score. You would not have walked away going, that was a great day. Nope. Happiness. It's based on favorable circumstances or situations. Joy and with happiness does not have to necessarily relate to people. Joy, on the other hand, when I think of joy, joy is this. It is an under, uh, undertone of an attitude in the presence of God and most often related to also people. And does not have to include happiness. So, joy. We have gone through a lot of death here at Resurrection, have we not? And we have not walked into this building saying in any of the services, including this Saturday, we are happy 
And yet there is an underlying joy. Why? Because we know that they are with their Father in heaven. We know that God has us in his hand. We are those who can be, not having to be happy, but even grieving. Simply as 2 Corinthians says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. But because of the confidence that we have, those of you who've raised children, my children give me great joy. Watching them grow and mature and work through hard circumstances and become the men that God is continuing to make them is a joy. Have they always made me happy? Probably the only thing that can bring me both happiness and joy throughout my life, never in a doubt, it would be my wife, Ursula. That's the only thing. Right, Ursula? We've always had nothing but happiness. Oh, yeah, we had the kids, so we didn't have... Okay, forget that one. Usually if people ask me, uh, how long have you been married? I'll say, oh, we've been married 38 years, you know. Uh, you know, I'll pull out any number. I'll say 27 of them happy. And I said, well... 27 happy, 11 ecstatic, you know. <laughs> just, but, uh, yeah, let's see, 27 plus 11, okay, we're good. Um, but, you know, what is that, uh, that joy that goes through parenting, that joy that goes through relationships? And you notice that normally if you think about joy, it's going to tie with people. You're not going to have continued joy in the stock market. You might be really happy right now, but you're not going to necessarily have it because it's dependent on where things go. So joy is there. And the reason I say that is if you look at verses that talk about joy, they don't necessarily include the aspect of happiness, or they might include joy in the midst of suffering. So James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here in Psalm 47, it simply says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. That relationship of people together to God. Isaiah 9, 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy because they rejoice in you. He says here to go and eat your food in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 with gladness, happiness, but also drink your wine with a joy-filled heart. For God has already proved what you do. Proverbs 10, the prospect of righteousness is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Even though you have not seen him and even though you do not know him, it says in 1 Peter 1, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. When the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, it's always my verse, frankly, that I pray for you. As he talks about in Philippians chapter 1, every time I think of you, I pray for you. 
with joy. As God's light shines into us, that today our goal would be to in such a way see that shining through us, to have that character of God which is working that we can separate between happiness and joy, understanding that we get not only joy, but God also gives us gladness and happiness, but that our true joy, our true foundation of life, our true foundation of faith is found in the joy of being God's own children. So even when it comes to giving, if you will, my experience has been, I guess, in my 30-some-plus years of, of doing ministry is that there's different ways of going about giving of money or time. There's that aspect of duty. It's the law. You should. Now, it doesn't even have to be a heavy law, but I know that there were, you know, in certain generations, this generation has pretty much left us now, but the silent generation was kind of giving, that was their role, to give out of duty. Now the reason I say that is, if I haven't told you this story before, when I used to go make shut-in calls in Waverly, Iowa, I'd go visit the shut-ins, and I sat down, I remember the first uh, time I was going through that, sat down, and these little old couples who had these black and white pictures of very stern-looking people as families, and we'd be talking, and I realized Germans don't smile. They just don't. And they always sat me across from those pictures, and I'm thinking I need some joy, but I don't even have happiness here. But anyway, so, but they're very joyful, I'm sure. So as I'm sitting there, they would normally say at one point, Vicar, that's your intern name, Vicar, I need to go get our dues. I thought they don't look like they pay, play golf. Am I supposed to take their books to the library? What am I getting? And they'd go to their kitchen and in handwriting, barely decipherable because of age and situation, they'd come out with a check made out to, no, the church. And in the corner it said, dues. Very interesting that generationally it was considered that was the right thing to do, Dio, but they had dues. This was what was expected. This is what God calls on us to do. And so there's that aspect of we have those dues. We made shifts, and then we saw I, I, generationally there was an aspect of certainly giving, and I think there was more of an emphasis on first fruit giving, uh, a, a giving uh, of, of a percentage and I think a giving of a sacrificial type of thinking. Um, and so it shifted off of dues, but I think there was a stronger push into what do we see the biblical context for that. And that kind of came in what we would call the builder context, or those of you who were born up until about 1946. And so in that age range, we saw a different idea of offerings, and that's where the word offerings began to be used more freely. It was not a due, it was an offering, and it was given as God had given to us. 
rightfully so, and there was nothing wrong with dues. It was just it had a different context. Well, then you get into the baby boomers, and of course, we are all the problem all the time. I'm sorry to you who are parents of us boomers, and I'm sorry to you who are children of us boomers, but we seem to shift everything. And what happened was we didn't like the idea of giving an offering to something because we didn't know what you'd do with it. So boomers like to give mostly to what causes I want so I can direct my giving to what I want to make happen. So in the Bible passage that say given to God's storehouse didn't really fit well with boomers because they want to say give to what you want and we'll see if you want to put something in God's storehouse. That was just kind of a, an idea. It was direction, it was control, still law. And here was the danger in these things as we see that there was a lot of comparison type of thinking. Now between I know you guys aren't going to believe this, but between the time of the builders and the boomers, there's actually stories, and when we were in, in central Iowa, north central Iowa, the way that you kind of encouraged giving was this, is you put out a yearly newsletter and you listed the giving of each family by name and by amount. Did anybody ever go to a church that did that? There you go. That was common. Now, today you talk about privacy and everything else. There was no privacy. It said, since you raised your hand, Malik, Hemingway, Soames. Now, you think, just think of it. What was the, the driver on that? Certainly law, especially if you live in a small town. I know what you make, and you know what I make. Is there opportunity for comparison? Oh, I think so. Both ways, right? If the idea is to drive someone to give more because I'm more towards the bottom, there's that. But is there not the aspect of, whew, look where we landed. And what happens out of those situations is this is that sometimes what happened too in churches is if you truly listed everybody's giving, certain voices had more power, right? You want to make a decision who's voting on what? Well, we're going to listen to... Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I think that's a great idea. The thing is, there's something that God does which is not driving giving by the law. Whether it's comparison, whether it's what I want. But so many of us are driven by the law. Even if I'm in a different category, let's say I'm in this one, I'm in guilt because I don't feel that I am able to do it. I can't do duty. I'm overwhelmed. We overpaid, we overdid, and I sure feel bad. That can motivate temporarily, but it's not much of a motivation long term because instead of raising us up for how God gives through us of our time and our treasure, it usually demotivates. Sometimes what we do is we try and switch off. You know, I give money, so I don't want to give time. I give time, I don't want to give money. Again, somehow driven by the law where the stewardship of the Bible is something joy-filled that asks us to look at our whole life. 
And if we look at money and time, we so often look at what do we do within the four walls of a church versus the exterior of our life. And what happens is, is we can do a lot within the four walls and find ourselves maybe even being able to be generous, but there's not much joy. I do what I got to do. Or I just do it because that's what was always done and I'm pretty grudging about it and I'm not really all that happy about it. Oh, in some places it's used as a weapon. If I'm not happy, I'm not giving. I'll make a vote that way. Again, it seems to be a legal arm by which we don't see where God fits into the picture. Now, I don't know as I describe this, this may be something you've experienced somewhere or you've never experienced and you're going, oh, dear Lord, Pastor Steve, tell me it's not so. But it certainly doesn't fit the character and the nature of what God is talking to us about this. And so the passage that I add to those that you heard read is from 2 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul talking to them and expressing to them who, who they are his joy, he says this, my point is this, it is true that the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will reap generously. Each one of you should give. Now look at this. He does not put it in the side of the law. He does not make it a duty or a compulsion, but he says to decide in your own heart. But he says in your heart is that is being felt, coming from there, it, it emanates from this because it's not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves and the word there, a cheerful. That is, and this is just the wonderful thing about this word, is it kind of marries the two pieces together and it's like the overjoyful person. The person who is living out of joy. And that's what I love about living in the church And living with you and my prayer for all of us is that our underlying attitude of however and how much and what time we give and what money we give and how we go about that together is just an overflowing joy because joy makes the difference You can work with two different sets of people, people who are just there putting it together, doing what needs to be done. They could be the most uh, organized, the most efficient. But when there is no joy, it's not a place that you want to have, the kind of DNA that you want to live among, right? It's the kind of office you go, I need to get somewhere else. And you may be knocking the figures out of the park. But if there's no joy, if you're in a classroom and you have children 
you could be the kind of situation where the teacher is absolutely in control, which we like to see that, not have a chaos, but is running it in such a way that there is so much structure and so much fear. And the children are learning out of fear, but you would walk in there and say, I would not want my child here because there is no Joy brings to light. Joy brings to life. Joy is present where God is present. It is the grace of God. It is the fact that we understand we're not at all deserving, that we don't deserve the time we have. We don't deserve the funding we have. We don't deserve the things that he's doing with us. And yet when we step back and see what he's doing, and you say, wow, how blessed am I. That's the beginning of joy. It's the beginning of a place of seeing that God is at work. And I thank you for when I see that in your lives, that underlying joy that operates in your parenting, it operates in your work here at Resurrection, it operates when you sing on a Sunday morning and you sing great, but it's not just that, it's because it's with joy. It's not just fingers that can play accurately and do the right things. Sometimes over there a little crazy, but I know. <laughs> but with joy. It's seeing shirts about what we can do more together in Sunday school and how we can lead. And it's not just because I go because I have a job and I teach, but because we find children to be a joy. It's not being here so people can look at us and say, there they are, they're resurrection, they're amazing. No, they have joy. Joy in what? They have joy in reaching the community. They have joy of loving each other. They have joy of going through hard times together. They have joy of supporting each other. They have joy of praying for each other. They have joy in supporting other churches. They have joy of living outside of themselves. They have joy of seeing others have successes. They have joy in holding the hands of those who are hurting. They have joy. Where does that joy come from? Well, it comes from God. It's experiencing the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. It is experiencing the joy of Jesus, who it says in Philippians, for the joy that was within him. He stared at the cross. It was the joy for you. And I'm telling you, friends, we want to focus on it. We want to hold on to that joy because this is not, can you tell this week? Can you tell what's going on? Oh, sorry. Can you tell what's going on? There is not much joy. I'm not just picking on one side there. The joy of the Lord. It is not going to be changed by partisan politics. It will not be changed by one side or the other in November. 
Yeah, we need to be good, faithful citizens, but elections do not create joy. What created joy was God electing you and your input and your impact and your overall giving with joy. Probably one of your favorite hymns of mine, Christmas, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy. The presence of God living in us. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? What do we do with it? We don't keep getting ourselves tied up where the world gets tied up with just overwhelmingness. We get involved with seeing where God is at work. We rest when it's time to rest. We work when it's time to work. We don't let money and time manage us. We manage them. We sow and we reap because God is the giver of all things. We get rid of chains of guilt, duty, control, drudgery, God, free us from this and give us joy. We get rid of comparison, comparison of our homes to one another, our cars to one another, our giving with one another, our percentages with one another, or the things that our kids may do in front of each other, our grandkids, how perfect or not perfect they are. We get rid of those things in comparison because what we look for is the midst of God's presence in all those things, joy. And I'd encourage you. We've found this to be so true lately, and it's not like we ask each other to have a joy moment, but they just keep seeming to pop up. They pop up when we hang out with you. They pop up when we come out of worship. They pop up when we're in our neighborhood. They pop up when we're with our church planter friends. They pop up and we see other churches coming and wanting to be and see a part of what resurrection is. Next week, by the way, one of our core groups uh, from one of our church plants and the pastor, soon-to-be pastor, will be here with us. pops up when I get phone calls asking about how come our early learning center is so awesome. It pops up when people talk to me after they've seen the choir on a Sunday and say, how do you guys get such good, joyful stuff? And I get, we just find, if you ask yourself this question, where are you finding joy? If you do nothing else this week, try doing that. Talk to somebody you live with or you've on the phone with. Where are you finding joy? Heavenly Father, you are the giver of joy. You so generously give joy. You call on our hearts to live in your joy. You even give the sense of eternity is coming into your joy. 
Help us to so joyfully here at Resurrection when we are about those things together and individually. Help us to talk about joy. Is there something about talking about it that just multiplies it? Help us to share with others why they are part of our joy. Lord, we live in a world that looks for happiness and has no joy. May we bring the joy of the Lord as our strength in the hilarity and cheerfulness and overwhelming joy of our life. Use us to be those who bring eternal joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing with joy.